0: So, what would be the top 10 days of your life? How do you make a list of the top 10 days of your life? I don't know all of them right off the top of my head, but I can tell you four of them the birth of our firstborn, the birth of our secondborn, the birth of our youngest, and the birth of our grandson. And guys, those are four epic moments because I became a father once, twice, and three times, and then a grandfather. Those are amazing. I remember each one of them so vividly. And particularly, as you think back to the first time you become a father, Jenny Edmondson Hospital, Council Bluffs, Iowa, a wintry November day, holding in my arms our firstborn, Angela, and thinking to myself, what in the world have we gotten ourselves into? And then taking her, accompanying Ruth, and myself down to our car. And the nurse is helping us get the car seat in place. And we're putting Angela into this car seat. And I'm thinking to myself, what are these people thinking? They are allowing these two complete inexperienced nobodies to take a child home with them. How are we ever gonna do this? Why are they trusting us? We didn't know what we were doing. We had to trust God for our future. And that, guys, is exactly what I want to talk to you about today. You know, perhaps you're going through a time in your life where you're making decisions about things. Perhaps you're up against some kind of struggle and you don't, you don't see the outcome. You don't, you don't know what's going to happen. And maybe you feel like giving up. Or maybe you feel like just, you know, what's the point? Or should I, can I do this? Well, I want to go back to a, a, a great a, uh, account that we started last weekend. Pastor Brandon did a superb, masterful job telling the story of this must see TV streaming now, it would be a uh, reality television show called The Herods. Uh, All all episodes now streaming. I mean, he's a crazy Herodian dynasty. Um, First, he told us about the incredibly corrupt and murderous Herod family dynasty that ruled in Israel for a really, really long time. Uh, He told us about Herod the Great, who was the guy that executed all the children uh, in Bethlehem, the male uh, under two years old boys in, in Bethlehem, because... He was trying to kill Jesus. And then there was a Herod Antipas who beheaded John the Baptist. And Jesus stood trial before him on his way to crucifixion. And there are more Herods. There's Herod uh, uh, Archelaus, Herod Philip. And then there's this guy, Herod Agrippa, um, that we're going to look at. And then after him is Herod Agrippa II who is uh, actually going to preside over Paul's trial. Uh, and you know, it's like you know our, our grandson, Nico, he loves the, the little song, Old MacDonald had a farm, and, a, and, a, and on that farm there were some cows, and a moo-moo here, and a moo-moo there. Well, in the New Testament, it's a Herod-Herod here, and a Herod-Herod there, here, Herod-Herod, Herod, everywhere, Herod-Herod. I mean, that's what it is. There's lots of them. And here's the interesting thing. Every single one of them you meet is horrible. They're all terrible. So anyway, Brandon filled us in on some of those. Next, Brandon recounted the story of King Herod. This one, Herod Agrippa I, who executed James to curry the favor of the Jewish folks who were opponents of the early Christian movement, who were all Jewish believers in Jesus, the Messiah. And Herod himself was outwardly a pious Jew, but really it was all just kind of show. And then when he saw that, please them, and he curried their political favor, he says, well, if, that's, if you like that, watch this. And he puts Peter in prison, and he planned on executing him too. Finally, uh, Brandon told us about an angel of the Lord and how the angel miraculously struck Peter on the side, woke him up in between, chained between two guards. And Peter's chains fell off. And somehow the angel guides him out of that prison. He's not even sure what he's experiencing. And he finally ends up there realizing what's happened. He makes his way to the house of Mary where some of the church is gathered, praying fervently for him. He knocks on the door. Rhoda comes, the servant, a young woman. She gets so excited hearing his voice, she runs back and tells him, Hey, Peter's at the door, Peter's at the door. And they're like, You're crazy. It must be like his angel who's taking his, his form or something. But eventually they let him in. So Peter makes it out past the guards, but he has a hard time getting past Rhoda. But eventually he gets in. And today we're going to hear the rest of that story. Because yes, Peter was released from prison. But guys, James was dead. And King Herod Agrippa was still in power. He's still on the loose. And he's still a maniac. And he's a threat. And he's enjoying this evil man, enjoying a charmed life of luxury in palaces. And he seems to be getting away with murder, quite literally. He's living great. And this brings up a bigger question in our lives. Why does evil seem to prevail sometimes why do people who cheat on their spouses seem to flourish why do cheaters and liars and gossips have seemingly sometimes carefree lives why are the crazies getting ahead why is their instagram blowing up why are terrible god-aiding people making great headway making the headlines and getting all sorts of public and private acclaim at least that's what they're projecting publicly on their social media accounts meanwhile maybe you're thinking i'm trying to raise a family or i'm trying to get through school or, i'm trying to do my work i'm trying to make a difference in the marketplace and i'm being pressured to do unethical things or i'm called to cave on my convictions as a follower of jesus or to laugh at all the dirty raunchy stuff of culture and i'm holding the line but let me tell you it's not easy and where is this all leading anyway What I'm talking about is living in an evil, fallen, and nasty world where partying, immoral, rich Herods seem to rejoice in putting down and coming down against honest followers of Jesus. Oh yeah, they're imperfect for sure, these followers of Jesus. But they really don't deserve that kind of treatment. And sometimes when you're in a situation where you see everybody around you prospering, but you're not, and you're trying to follow Jesus, and you may feel stuck or like you're getting behind, right? Or worse, you're stricken with some disease, or your family feels like it's falling apart, or you're broke, or you're overcome with worry or depression, or you're just dismayed at what's happening in the culture. And you say, I'm really, really worried about the future. We try to convince ourselves sometimes, it doesn't matter to us what the Herods of this world are experiencing. We don't care about all that. We tell ourselves, we don't get, care if they're all popular and, and life is good and so forth. We try to talk ourselves into that, but everybody's like, Crystal, Maybach, diamonds on your timepiece, jet planes, islands, tigers on a gold leech, we don't care. We aren't caught up in your love affair and we'll never be royals, Herod's. You don't run in our blood. That kind of luck's just ain't for us. We crave a different kind of buzz and we'll never be royals, Herod's. That is what we tell ourselves, but still it kind of bugs us because Herod's seem to get ahead. Yeah, that's what we're singing to ourselves, but still we're asking, what's really going on in life? What does my future hold? It sometimes seems so unfair and so uncertain. Why do people who live immoral, dishonoring God lives, who despise Jesus and the Christian faith, advance? Well, I seem to suffer more and more. And I'm told I'm out of touch. Or backward or worse, I'm a hater, I'm a whatever. And it seems like there's like this, sometimes in in our minds, there's like this inverse ratio between experiencing joy and really following Jesus. It's like there's hardship and there's difficulty and there's suffering. And the more I follow Jesus, instead of sometimes feeling that external joy, it seems like it's kind of the opposite. What's with that? Well, I'm going to talk about that. Sometimes it's enough for followers of Jesus, like me, like you, to know and to hear comforting wisdom from Scripture that says, you know, keep going. You just keep persevering. Follow Jesus. Jesus sees, he cares, he will reward you, he will bless your life, he's there for you, he's got your back. And ultimately, God will work out all things together for the good of those who love him. And then we also are reminded of the incredible truth of scriptures that we need to re- maintain that eternal perspective that sees things not just in the span of one day or a week or a year or even a lifetime, but looks at eternity and understanding that God ultimately will bring justice in this world. Ultimately, wicked will not prevail. And the right will prevail, and that God will bless his followers for all eternity. We need to remember those truths. We do. And just sometimes just reminding ourselves of those things is a tremendous comfort and encouragement. So if you're weary today, I get it. And just reminding you of those truths may be enough. But sometimes we need to go just a little deeper. We need to go behind the scenes. We need to pull back the curtain and see if we can learn even more. So today we're going to look at an historical account of scripture. It's going to help us with this question of trusting God for our future, especially when evil seems to be triumphant. And the story is about this incredible contrast between the apostle Peter and King Herod. Peter doing God's will, doing the right thing, And guess what, he's chained between two guys awaiting execution. And he's sentenced there by a guy named Herod Agrippa. Pastor Chris Hilkin says, every Herod you meet in the Bible and history is horrible. They are not nice people. If you go to a Herodian family dinner, you're going to be miserable because they are a bunch of hate-filled, immoral, pompous, violent, narcissistic, persecutors. I mean, the whole family. Sexually deviant, they take each other's wives. They kill off anybody who they thought might be interested in ruling in their place someday. That's what the Herod family was like. It was reality TV. Herod the Great, i said, tried to kill off Jesus. And here's this guy, Herod the Great. He enjoyed this incredible, he built this incredible palace on top, of a, on top of a mountain called the Herodium. This is the guy that's the grandfather of our guy, all right? Look closely at this. It's just, I mean, even today, it's this spectacular ruins that you can go to in Israel. It's amazing. I mean, this guy lived there really like a king. And he, and he experienced incredible luxury and external... You know, living, living the great life. And then there's Herod the Gripped the first. He's our guy today. Eventually, he will, his son will actually provide a, a preside over the trial of Paul. And just like the Herods before him and his descendants after him, he too is a really wicked person, murderous, disgusting. But on the outside, he's living the good life, he's living large. And it seems like evil is winning. So we pick up the story there. And warning, as we go into this scripture, this account is weird, it's gross, it's intense, and it's insane. And you're, sometimes you're reading, the, you hear about this stuff, and he says, if somebody asks you, is that in the Bible? You'd say, probably not. But no, it actually is in the, here in the Bible. So we're going to learn from scriptures how we can trust God for our future, especially when evil seems to flourish. First thing we can learn that we really, really need to do to trust God for the future is we joyfully need to tell one another our only God stories, especially in hazardous times, guys. So Peter has had this miraculous escape from prison. We learned that last weekend. Rhoda finally lets him in the house, and here's what happens. He, He tells them, motioning to them with his hand, quiet down everybody, they're all celebrating, and he described to them how the Lord had brought him out of the prison. So he's having a great time. And then he says, tell these things to James, not the one who'd been executed, but the brother of the Lord. And the brothers, the others, he said, and he left and went to another place. And this story of Peter's escape from prison became one of those only God could do this story. Only God. And it was one of the favorite stories that was told in the early church. And I think when that was told, there was laughter. There were probably some tears And there was just a thrilling amount of encouragement that in the really tough times that many of those early Christians faced, they remembered this only God could do that story of the Apostle Peter. So I want to encourage you, if you're going to trust God for your future, we are all going to need to do this. We're going to need to joyfully tell one another our only God stories especially in the hazardous times when we're going through difficulties because that lifts up our hearts and and reminds us of the faithfulness and goodness of God. These stories can be told when we're at the beginning of the story, the middle of the story or the end of the story or all of them. I mean, this week, we've been experiencing our Love You Des Moines days. And we've seen thousands of people be blessed as we serve. And guys, stories are already coming out of this, where people have been blessed and loved and encouraged. And we've been able to not only show, but also share the love of Jesus. And people who've come and said, we want to hear more. And they're here this weekend, this Father's Day weekend with us. And there are more stories that will come of this. We can't wait to hear more of them in the days to come. On Father's Day, I want to encourage you guys to to be telling those God stories. And and one way that we can do that, I want to just highlight this today, is is the incredible ministry of Cross Trainers. Cross Trainers is a a non-denominational, many different churches get together on Wednesday mornings at the Valley Community Center from 6.30 to 7.30 a.m. They've been doing it for over 30 years. It's led by a couple incredible Valley church guys, uh, Frank Accurso and Chris Barr, and every week, guys from all over Des Moines gather together to encourage each other to be uh, challenged and sparked by Scripture and by telling their only God stories to one another. I invite you, check it out, guys. Uh, Great opportunity. And we'll have more to come uh, this summer of just gatherings for guys to get together. Wanted to just encourage you this Father's Day, all the guys, all right? I want to also tell you a story. A God story of a friend of mine. He told me that this week, his name is Clint Greider. There's Clint. He is a former Valley member, Valley staff member for a time, and now he's a leader of an incredible organization that blesses churches all over the United States with strategic planning and 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 really helping them to to reach their communities. Uh, he lives in Dallas, Texas. This is this is Clint, my friend, my very good friend, and he was telling me this story. Clint. Uh, 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 about five weeks ago, had to have back surgery. And uh, it, was, it was very in, intense, uh, but it was necessary with, with some vertebrae. And, um, and he, he was recovering. And he had come home from the hospital, and I think it was a couple weeks after uh, the surgery, he returned to the hospital. And his father actually drove him there to the hospital for his post-op first, uh, first appointment. And then they were heading back uh, to the house. Well, Clint tells the story. Guys, um, they're heading back to the house and his father is driving him. Clint's watching the traffic. They're in in downtown, heavy Dallas traffic, six uh, lanes wide. His dad is driving. Clint's watching the road. And then he, he notices the car is beginning to drift. And he looks over and his dad has completely passed out and Clint is recovering from a major back surgery and he looks over and his dad is just out and Clint in that moment very calmly reached over he grabbed the wheel he put the car into neutral and he put on the emergency flashers and slowly slowly decelerated and through Dallas, Texas traffic makes it off to the side of the road onto a ramp. His father comes to, and he didn't know what happened. This had never happened before in his life. He had always been, never had a problem like this, but it happened that day. But then Clint told me a little bit more. He said, and earlier that morning, before we went to the appointment, I had like a, a one second moment where It was as if God spoke to me and said, Clint, if anything happens to your dad while he's driving, reach over, grab the wheel, put it in neutral, and put on the emergency flashers. He said that had happened hours before. That's the only reason that both of them are here healthy with us today on this earth. That's a God story. That's an only God story. And they're both doing great now. Guys, we need to tell those kind of stories. We need to encourage each other with how God shows up in sometimes miraculous ways like that and sometimes just ordinary provision or kindness or goodness. We need to tell our only God stories. Okay, let's keep going. The second thing I want to tell you, if we're going to trust God for our future, is we need to calmly expect cultural chaos and merely human thinking to be the norm. It's just, that's, we should just accept that as the norm. I, let's read the following. It says, okay, so Peter's out of prison now. And at daylight, there was a great commotion among the soldiers as to what had become of Peter. So they're like all running around like keystone cops. And then verse 19, after Herod had searched and did not find Peter... He's like, where is he? Well, where'd he go? I mean, what happened to him? He interrogated the guards. They didn't know. And he ordered their execution. Nice guy. Actually, the law was that if you allowed prisoners to escape, whatever their punishment was would become your punishment. That was the way it was back then. And so Herod carries out this very violent thing and he orders their execution. And after a long, hard day at the king's office, like that, you're, you've been humiliated because somehow this nobody has escaped from prison. And you had to, you know, order the execution of some guards. How are, you gonna, how are you gonna respond to that after a long, hard day of being king? It says, then Herod. Went down from Judea to Caesarea and stayed there. It's time for some PTO for Herod because he's the king and he's got to get away from this. He's got to play around the golf. He's got to do some fun stuff, and so Herod went down there. He says, "I got to get my I got to get myself Agrippa here." Right. So let's look at the pictures of so this is a diagram of the Caesarea Maritima, means by the sea. I've been there. Here's a diagram of it as it was in Herod's. Agrippa's day. Incredible spot. Here's an indoor pool. Yeah, indoor-outdoor pool. Here's some incredible gardens. There's the palace. There's a chariot race. There's an incredible um, uh, amphitheater up here. And of course, you got all the beaches. It's just amazing. And you can still go there today. And some of, I mean, you can see how beautiful it is. I mean, it's just an amazing spot. Take a look at this. This is where Herod Agrippa goes, because he's, he's living the good life, right? I mean, he's just enjoying himself. The beaches, And you think, you know, what's with this? It's a horrible human being, but he is living large. He is enjoying life. And you're saying, where's the justice of God? Where's the, where's God? We go on, verse 20. So Herod had been very angry with the people of Tyre and Sidon. He was in this kind of feud with the, these couple of cities, uh, some kind of trade war, and he was really mad. He was very narcissi- narcissistic. He constantly was having temper tantrums. And it says together they presented themselves before him. So they, they go and they say, hey, we need, we need to figure this out. And it says after winning over uh, Blastus, who was in charge of the king's bedroom. So King Heron has this kind of uh, servant guy who's really a high official who oversees his bedroom, which is not, sounds like nothing, but it's really an important job because you can get killed there really easily. So he's got like secret service, okay? So they went over, secret service guy, Blastus, And they said, now we're on his good side. And then it says, they asked for peace. They say, hey, can we, can we kiss and make up? King Herod, can we, can we smooth things over? Because their country was supplied with food from the king's country. They were used to the Galilean corn and they were up north far from Galilee and they just were starving and they couldn't feed old Jimmy and Susie at home. And so they said, maybe we should make peace with this maniacal, angry tyrant. Again, he's, he's got the upper hand. He's got Secret Service. He's got, he's got it all, right? Son, by the way, it's like, hey, blast us. We'll be friends with you if you'll be friends for us to hear it. It sounds like junior high. It's crazy. But that's, that's the way he was. Here's what I'm sa- going to say to you. If we're going to maintain our peace and if we're going to trust God for our future, we need to calmly expect that this kind of cultural chaos is going to happen. That's just the way the world operates. And expect merely human human-based, not God wisdom, thinking to be the norm. Guys, this is what it's like. I'm telling you. So I want to encourage you, if you're going to trust God for, your, for the future, don't freak out that the world works this way. It does. Realize that's the way it's always been. 2,000 years and running. And always will be until the very end of the age. And when regular folks, just natural people, only rely on themselves, in this broken, fallen, tragic world, a lot of crazy stuff goes down, guys. And the world works on power, brokering, and gossip, and greed, and anger, and favor-bartering, and I'll do this, and you scratch my back, you, and I'll scratch yours. And then there are the haves and the have-nots. There are the haves, the Herods, and the have-nots. Poor people attire inside and just trying to eat. And there were always people like Herod and Blastus, and the people, a mix of the, the good and the bad, the decent and the dishonorable. And even places today in our world who were once perhaps heavily influenced by Judeo-Christian ethics and teaching and thinking, even today, that, this kind of thinking, like Herod and Blastus and the rest, or it's, we just should understand that's kind of the norm. That's kind of how the world operates. Yes, absolutely, we try to bring change. We try to love our communities and better our communities and our nation and our world, and we should. And yes, absolutely, we pray for spiritual awakening and turnaround and revival. And yes, apart from Jesus, culture is often mired in chaos and merely human reason is all people have because they don't know God and the wisdom of God and the love of God in the way that somebody who has the Holy Spirit residing within them does. This is the human story apart from God. And a lot of folks are carrying out the only agenda they know how to carry out. Many of them honestly feel that they're doing the right thing. Even when in our minds, it's, it's just not the right direction. In the midst of all of this craziness, We ourselves need to resist getting pulled into that kind of worldly wisdom and chaos. And as a followers of Jesus, we know there is a different and better way and there is a different and better king. I'm not talking about any specific people. I'm just talking about the world we live in, right guys? So let's follow Jesus and expect, it's okay, we understand. This is going to happen in a crazy mixed up world. And then patiently believe that God can intervene in different ways to accomplish his plan. Look at verse 21. On an appointed day, it's all set up, dressed in his royal robes and seated on the throne. So, I mean, it's, you know, that that amphitheater scene. It's like, oh, he's amazing. Herod delivered a speech to them. And he gave this big, incredible speech. And the people, assembled people began to shout, it's the voice of a God and not of a man. They're just flattering him. It's like, you're amazing, man. You're not, this isn't even immortal. This is like, this guy can, this guy is a, it's a God. It says, verse 23, at once an angel of the Lord struck him, struck Herod. By the way, irony here, the word strike is the same word used an angel struck Peter on the side to wake him up and get him out of prison. Here the angel of the Lord strikes Herod because he did not give the glory to God. He accepted this kind of worship and he was eaten by worms and died. He had some kind of intestinal problem with uh, some kind of intestinal worm that's very common in that part of the world, especially 2,000 years ago, and he died. Oh my, I mean, God just took him out. A lot of people read Bible accounts like these and feel like they're fairy tales, but they're not. They happened in history. The crazy thing about this one is that this particular story is actually recounted by the Jewish historian Josephus. He actually told what happened. Here's what Josephus says, and he's just an ancient historian, he's not a follower of Jesus. He's just a reliable ancient historian that we depend on for lots of stuff. Here's what he wrote. Now, when Agrippa had reigned three years over all Judea, that's Herod, he came to the city of Caesarea, check. There he exhibited shows in honor of the emperor. On the second day of the festival, Herod put on a garment that's also in our passage, made completely of silver and of a truly wonderful texture and came into the theater early in the morning, at which time the silver of his garment was illuminated by the fresh reflection of the sun's rays upon it. It shone out after a surprising way and was so resplendent as to spread a reverence and awe of those who looked intently upon Agrippa. At that moment, his flatterers cried out that he was a God. And they added, be merciful to us. For though we have at this point reverenced you only as a man, yet from this point forward, consider you as superior to mortal nature. Upon this, says Josephus, the historian, the king did neither rebuke them nor reject their impious Godless flattery. But as he presently, after we look up, he saw an owl sitting on a certain rope over his head and immediately understood that this bird was the messenger of ill tidings and had once been the messenger of good tidings to him. And he fell into the deepest sorrow. A severe pain also arose in his belly and began in a most violent manner he was carried into the palace and the rumor went everywhere that he would certainly die in a short time. The king rested in a high chamber and when he had been quite worn out by the pain in his stomach for five days, he departed this life being in the 54th year of age and in the seventh year of his reign. So Flavius Josephus, the historian completely confirms exactly what is written here by Luke in the gospel, or excuse me, in the book of Acts. This passage, this little section reminds us of some incredible truths. And Chris uh, Hilkin Calls these the best reminders for weary souls, and I want to take these with with us just from this passage. First, God sees all things; He, he sees what you're going through. Don't never forget that. Second, Jesus covers the sins of believers. Yes, He sees the wrong I do, but through the blood of Jesus Christ, He covers over our sin. He takes the penalty that we deserve. That's why we trust in Jesus and the cross. Thirdly, the sins of the unrighteous will not go unpunished. Those who reject Jesus. God knows and sees, and eventually he will bring about justice. Number four, pride goes before destruction. Herod just was so arrogant that eventually this caused his downfall. And not often in this dramatic fashion it has happened, but arrogance always has its day of reckoning. And number five, the will of God is often very confusing. We don't always see how God is going to bring this about. I mean, the day before this happened, you're like, Herod's getting away with murder. The next day, it's like, Well, I guess God is on the throne. He's in charge. You know what? We're in the middle of it. We don't see the end of the story. And in the moment, It's often confusing. Number six, God sees and hears your cries for mercy and justice. He hears your heart and he's attentive to those cries. Seventh, God's patience has limit. It says in scripture, Peter says that uh, God's patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but all to come to repentance. He's giving people time to trust, to believe in him, to trust in Jesus Christ. But even that time comes to an end. And God's patience has limits. And there will come a day when everyone will give an account to him. Everyone will reap what they sow. Everyone who sows to wickedness will reap destruction. Everyone who sows to righteousness will reap eternal life. And number nine, may we be agents of reconciliation to advocate for our enemies to God. This isn't so, yeah, you got what was coming in your face. But instead we say, We want for every single person we ever meet, even our enemies, to experience that kind of love and forgiveness for our sins. We want them to experience that kind of grace. It takes grit to push through that, to leave the vengeance and the anger and the justice in God's hands and say, God can handle that. And to say, instead, I'm going to advocate for them. I'm going to pray for them. Jesus says, "Love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you. Bless those who do evil to you." And that's what we're called to do, guys. That's what we're called to do—to be agents of reconciliation. So now, because we know God's in charge, because one day He will bring about ultimate justice, we can look at our enemies, even with all their glitter and glamour and living the high life. Sometimes it seems unfair, and we see them with eyes of mercy. We don't hate them, we love them. We wanna be ambassadors of the good news of Jesus. We wanna bring a better way and a better king into their lives. And so we love them and we love our community and we even love our enemies because we have experienced the grace of Jesus Christ. We want everyone else to experience that grace. Apart from Jesus, the truth is none of us is any better We all have our flaws. We all have our shortcomings. We all have our sins. We thank God on this Father's Day for a father who so loved us that he gave his one and only son. And we trust in him and we want everybody to experience his grace. That's why we believe in the cross. And finally, if we're going to trust God for our future, we boldly pursue God's unstoppable mission, leaning on his grace and living with grit. The passage ends... But the word of God spread and multiplied. I love what theologian John Stott says about this. The chapter opens with James dead, Peter in prison, and Herod triumphing. It closes with Herod dead, Peter free, and the word of God triumphing. Such is the power of God to overthrow hostile human plans and to establish his own in their place. Tyrants may be permitted for a time to boast and bluster, oppressing the church, hindering the spread of the good news, but they will not last. In the end, the empire will be broken and their pride abused, it says in verse 25. And after they had completed their relief mission, taken those gifts we talked about back to Jerusalem, Barnabas and Saul returned to Jerusalem taking along John, who is also called Mark. And we'll get to that next weekend, opening up into Acts chapter 13. But the passage chapter ends on Peter, Paul, Barnabas, and a guy really unknown to us for the most part, John Mark, unknown to us so far in the the book of Acts, but he will eventually write the gospel of Mark. Incredible people, world changers. They trusted God for their future. I close with this. And I especially want to talk on Father's Day to all of our guys. Can you trust God for your future and for everybody to hear this? There's a contrast of a couple of guys in this passage. There's Herod, who is shining, glorious, living the high life, thinking he's totally in charge of his life, looking good on the outside. But inwardly, he's rotting. His soul is rotting and eventually his body rotting of worms that killed him. He is the king of hot air and maggots, someone said. And then we meet up with an incredible man named Peter. Very different. A simple man, but decided to follow Jesus with his life. And he is the one that we remember down to this very Father's Day. Can we pray with me? Father in heaven, we thank you for your incredible love for us. For your incredible mercy to our lives. I pray, oh God, that as we go through weariness sometimes and we're worried about the future, that we will see that, God, you are triumphant, that ultimately you will right the wrongs of this world and you will bless your people. Give us your grace and your grit to see it through. And I particularly pray for all of our fathers, stepfathers, foster fathers, everyone who's that father figure for you to, Especially bless them today on this Father's Day weekend. We love you, Lord, and we praise you in Jesus' name. And everybody said, Amen.